Welcome back to the Black Belter Podcast. You're listening to episode 51. This week's guest is Amy Truesdale. Amy is a para-taekwondo athlete with Team GB. However, she actually started in the ITF style and after much success, she heard about para-taekwondo in the WT style and decided to switch over. She has been a world champion in both styles. She's currently ranked number one in the world, which has earned her qualification to now next year's Paralympics. Amy will be aiming to be one of the first Paralympic gold medals for taekwondo. Today I chat to Amy about her experiences in both styles, her experiences of both able body and adapted competition in taekwondo, being part of Team GB, dealing with the Paralympics being pushed back and how that affects her training, and much more. I have to say I really enjoyed chatting to Amy. Uh, it was, I wasn't too familiar with para taekwondo before I came across her, so it was great to chat with her and learn something. But I do think Amy is a great athlete and role model, regardless of disability or anything else. Like always, make sure to like, share and subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and hope you enjoy. So what's up, Amy? How are you? Yeah, doing well. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a million for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for asking me. Uh, so I tend to start, I suppose, with everybody is like, uh, how did you get started in, uh, in Taekwondo? Where did the martial, the martial arts journey start? Oh, so um, it was actually my parents and they had myself and my sister and they just felt like the world wasn't like a particularly safe place. Um, so they encouraged us into like lots of sports, but then they just thought martial arts would be like a valuable life skill. Um, so that's the reason that we started. So um, my parents took me along to a local taekwondo club, which was like an IT, ITF style club at the time. Um, so I went along to that class and then like fell in love with it straight away and then competed in that style for like 20 years um, before moving over to the WT. So you were actually originally ITF? Yeah, so, yeah, from 97. So I probably left the organisation three years ago. So, yeah, like 20 years I was with them for. All right. So, and then how did that kind of, was that, how did that kind of work, like, in terms of, like, a, an adaptive style? Was it, was it much you couldn't do or much you could do in terms of competition? What, in the ITF style? Yeah. Oh no, I just competed at everything. So I was with um, an organisation called THB. So I got to a point where I'd actually won every title possible. So it was just like, where do I actually go from here? So I'd like become like world champion and like ladies, um, the ladies what about division. I'd done like the patterns, I'd done literally everything. Um, so it just got to a stage where I needed to progress further. So that's why I then switched over styles. Ah, very good. And then would you have played any other sports as a kid? Were you a sporty kid? Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I actually did ballet dancing, tap dancing, swimming and taekwondo. Um, so I did that for about eight years. And then my parents were like, you are doing too much. Um, because like my dancing exams, my taekwondo um, gradings were falling on the same day. And they were like, oh, to be honest, you really need to pick your favourite one. So obviously I said taekwondo straight away. Um, so then I left the other three sports and then just focused on Taekwondo. Yeah. Do you feel there was a good balance there, a good mix between activities that they crossed over any bit? Yeah, I think like the best thing, like me doing ballet dancing was perfect because I came to Taekwondo and everyone's like, you're really flexible. So I think all the stretching and um, that really helped me get into Taekwondo. Yeah, we often see that in, in a even in our club anybody who comes from like gymnastics or ballet or something like that like yeah if they, if they can be flexible when you come in the door it's always a great start yeah definitely and so like that that you just you start to compete and straight away 
Um, yeah, it's pretty much so. Like my first ever competition when I was younger, I literally got kicked from one side of the sports hall to the other. I cried my eyes out and I was like, I'm not doing this. I think I had like a year off. And then the same competition that I went to the following year, I got gold. And then I was like, oh, okay, I love it now. And then just from then, I've just competed ever since. Yeah. Were you, were you ever more patterns or sparring at that time? It was a mixture of both, to be honest. But yeah, I did love patterns when I was younger. But I just did every event because I just loved Taekwondo. So at the time, I just did everything. Yeah. I think that kind of happens a bit. Like, I was always... Because my, my style would be, would be ITF. And I was yeah. always more um, more patterns as a kid. Like, wasn't... I was always okay at sparring kind of in the club. But when it came to competition, I wasn't great. But patterns, I always okay. loved that. But then it kind of... I got to a stage where that kind of flipped and I much preferred it like I still would compete in both but just prefer okay. ended up I ended up being kind of better and preferred sparring it's just to get to a point where just it, it flips like so it's kind of mad like that isn't it that you prefer one but it can, yeah, it can, it it can flip around yeah it's crazy but it's good like you've got the option because obviously sparring isn't for everyone so it's nice that other people still enjoy the taekwondo because it's like through sparring yeah and did, did you find it was a good sport a good activity like you were never treated any different like considering you know, obviously the disability and that, that, that was there ever, that was never an issue, was it? Um, no, to be honest, I think I, when I was younger, like childhood, I didn't think it was an issue at all. I feel like it was included in everything. I, I would say coming like an adult into my 20s and now 30s, yeah, it's more of an issue nowadays. Um, I feel like people do make comments and they put limitations like on you before they even get to know you. Um, which is really interesting. Um, I think like becoming like, because now I'm a para-athlete, I'd always thought whatever the correct term is, able-bodied before. Um, so a lot of people are like, oh, you're a para-athlete now. So I think when I was first given that label, that was quite um, quite a different concept for me to deal with. But um, yeah, answer to your question, I think it's just a lot more difficult now than at all. I feel like there's a lot more negative comments made in comparison to when I was younger. Yeah. I suppose it's kind of, it, that's the thing with kids, I suppose, even though, isn't it? They don't really care. It's a, it's kind of, as you get older, more adults kind of tend to put labels on it. Kids don't care, they just, yeah, crack on, just get on with it. Yeah, definitely. But that's so, like, when then did it come around that you had a chance to become a part of Team GB? So, um, the first ever para competition was 2009, and at first I was like, I'm not really going to go to this competition, because like we'd called it a special game, and I was like, I don't like the word, and change of mind, ended up going to this competition, as we um, got bronze, and then from then on, I thought this is like a really positive opportunity, because, you know, you get to showcase other para-athletes, and it was other athletes that had the same disability as me, which I was unaware of that there was more people out there from other countries and um, so after that I just continued going to the power competitions and meddling and um, so like due to my consistent medal success um, it was obviously spoke about that it may go into the Paralympic Games and then it was 2017 that um, we had like the home world championships in London where I became world champion so from then it was like um, this girl's got medal potential for Tokyo, so money was then um, invested to fund like a world class um, power training program. So it was probably 2017 
that um, things really did start taking speed and moving forwards um, in Paris sport. Yeah. And so like these tournaments that you were going to the, the, the Paris sports, would those championships have ran alongside, we'll say, as with the able-bodied ones, or would they have been like your own separate circuit? Um, yeah, they are usually separate. Sometimes there'll be a competition and we will be on before or after um, other events. But yeah, the, it is usually a separate calendar in comparison to the Olympic athletes. Yeah. And they, so like, what type of other, what type of other, I suppose, disabilities would you see at these tournaments? Like, like what are the type of things that you would tend to see? Okay, so my category is quite complex. So classification for Paralympic sport, if anyone's looked into it, it's very complicated. Um, the division I'm in, it's K44, which is Karugi and M44. Um, so the people who qualify for my division would be the same disability as myself, which is um, like an amputation or missing. But also we have girls and males that have got um, MS or cerebral palsy, so they can actually classify into our category. Um, so they're the main sort of disabilities that would qualify for para taekwondo, and then for the para bumpsy, um, there's also other divisions there as well. Yeah. So as well, well, I think it's got, like I suppose it's kind of it's great. It does, I suppose, an outlet for for that as well. Like that, it like it's I don't know like. Maybe Taekwondo isn't something that I think not a lot of people know that there is that avenue out there, like the, like the adapted kind of style. So it's great that that actually is, and I think it would be good if more, you know, more people become aware because like some people might think to compete at the highest level that you can't, but like there's an avenue that you maybe quite you can. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think that was my like view. It was like oh, I've I've gained everything I can, I've achieved everything I can. So then when para taekwondo um, was then in games I thought oh this is another opportunity and I think that's why I'm so excited about going to Tokyo because I will be the first person to well, I'm the first person to qualify so to showcase it to other people they can then watch them and be inspired so if say for instance if you've got a parent watching it on the television and they've got like a child and think oh like my child might not ever do sport they might not ever achieve anything I think if they've got role models like myself and other Paralympic athletes that just gives them a bit of like hope, a bit of encouragement that their child can get involved in sport and achieve good things. Yeah, I think that's that. That is one of the biggest things I think that the Olympics and the Paralympics brings every four years. Is it? It really helps participation in, in all sports because like people, there's lots of sports that people don't see on a day to day basis that they see at the Olympics, they see at the Paralympics, and it, it kind of goes, oh, maybe that's something I could try. So I think that's like a massive thing for for, for sport is the Olympics, is the Paralympics. Yeah, definitely. I just think it's such a good way of just, as I say, showcasing it to everyone and just giving people a bit more education and insight to what um, these athletes actually do and what you can achieve. Yeah. And then when, like before, like GB started putting some, I suppose, some funding towards the, the programme, uh, how, how did you find, I suppose, like, would you have been working on that at the time and uh, would you have been balancing a job with, with training? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like GB Taekwondo were like really good with me, even though I wasn't a funded athlete at the time, they would allow me to come and train at the facility. So I did three days a week there and then I would travel back to Chester where I'm originally from. So I'd be doing like assemblies in schools, I'd be doing after school clubs. There was a point where I was working in retail, which I absolutely hated. Um, so it was literally 
just going to Chester, doing my job or teaching, going back to Manchester. And I literally just did that until I got um, funding. And like the only day I'd have off was like a Sunday. But yeah, it was just very backwards and forwards. And it was quite hard managing the time because obviously I needed to earn money to then fund myself to train. So yeah, it was, it was quite difficult at the time. Yeah, that's the challenge with a lot of sports. It's, it's a challenge I know that I kind of even for ourselves in ITF, like we don't because it's very hard for it's very hard for us to get funding because we're not the Olympic style. So it's yeah. you're trying to go to these all these competitions and these different places, and you have to fund it yourself. And oftentimes that can affect the I suppose the quality of the the overall team because especially when you get to the, like seniors and you get to the adult level that you know people do have jobs, they do have other commitments, and sometimes you have to yeah, prioritize. Exactly. So trying to trying to afford it, and that it can affect the quality of the overall team. But you know it's. Uh, the funding definitely does make a big difference on what people can do. Yeah, it definitely does because I was in the same like situation as you. So when I was like ITF style, like my parents would literally they just funded the, the whole of my training, going abroad, gradings, everything. So yeah, it is really demanding if you don't get that additional support. Yeah, and did you find up then a ramp a ramp up like when when you became full time? Did you f- find that like your training then you were able to increase your train the amount of training you did? Yeah, so once I've become full time, that was it. So that's like my full time job. I'd no longer had to um, like do teaching or work in retail. So that was it. So yeah, it just made my life so much easier. So it's just a full time job, full time training, um, and just like yeah, really well looked after. I don't have to commute backwards and forwards. So like we're housed in Manchester near our um, Olympic and Paralympic facility. So yeah, it's just it's just perfect, really. Yeah. So then what does a training schedule look like? How many times a day would you train? And like, what's the kind of breakdown of those sessions? Would it be like how many strength and condition sessions to taekwondo sessions would you do? Um, yeah, so it depends on what like block of training I'm in. If it's closer to competition, I'll be like in performance phase. But if I'm just like practicing, getting all my reps and my drills and that'll be like a general phase. So it depends um, what a standard day. Um, wake up in the morning, I'd do a fasted weigh-in. I'd log what I weigh. Um, I would then go to a kicking session in the morning, which is usually a two-hour session. Quick break, lunch, protein shake, any sort of recovery. And then it'll be a strength and conditioning session in the afternoon. So um, that could be like a weight session or it could be a bike or whatever the, the training is for that day. Um, so that's a standard week, Monday to Friday. Um, so it'd be twice a day um, for the week. Saturdays and Sundays would be a recovery day. Um, and then during the week, any sort of free time or recovery time that would then be used to go and uh, have conversations, meetings with like new, um, the nutritionists that we have, or we go and get massages, get treatment from the physiotherapist. So that's a standard week, really. Yeah. So it's fairly full. It, there's always something to, to yeah, throughout the day. Yeah. It is, but yeah, we've got it really good. We like we get really well hooked after. So yeah, I feel very fortunate. Yeah, how did how did you find when you walked in? Because I obviously you know when you go into the GB setup and you have people who have been Olympians like Jay Jones and that is there. You could be anchor walked in and that there's a couple of people there like that yeah. that have achieved. What what was that kind of a experience for us like? To be honest, I know how amazing they are, but I'm I still know the normal girls, the normal people, so I'm quite relaxed around them. But I have like witnessed other people and they get very excited. I'm quite starstruck, so it's quite funny to see. Um, 
But yeah, I think you just get on with it really because we're all there to do like one job. And even though they are like really high profile athletes, I think we just got got to accept like they are just the same as everyone else and they're trying to get to, like we're all trying to get the same goal. Yeah. And so like am I right in saying that the kind of the Olympics or the, the Paralympics is kind of the only medal you haven't won? Like you've been European champion, you've been world champion, two times world champion, that is yeah. that right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, this is the only one that I need to get. So so then, cross. so then, like the the world championships, what was that in? That was in twenty fourteen. So where where was that? Like how was that kind of? What was that kind of experience like? Being a world champion for the first time. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It was probably quite relaxed for me. I'm I don't like jump up and down. I don't do the whole celebrating, and I was just like probably smile and put my medal in my bag, but that's just me. Um, because I'm then too busy focusing on what's the next goal, what am I doing next? Um, but obviously I was really pleased because I just thought this is another achievement that I've not achieved before. And it was it was just it was amazing really because I like oh I've been like THB world champion and I've gone to a different style of type on them and I've now achieved world champion in that. So yeah, on reflection, yeah, it was a big achievement, and I was really pleased about it. Yeah, I suppose that kind of shows then, like, it gives a sense of belief as well. It, you know, you're kind of good. Like, if you can go across styles and still win, that's kind of, you know, you're you're doing something right, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, it's really, yeah, I suppose it is really good. <laughs> yeah. So then, like, how did the the qualification for the Paralympics work is it the same is it something similar to let's say the able-bodied for the Olympics is it the same kind yeah. of process or is, it, or is it different so I think in Olympic Taekwondo it's the top six that would actually qualify whereas para Taekwondo it's the top four athletes um, so yeah I've been ranked number one for about two maybe three years so yeah I automatically um, qualified a spot because I was in one position but yeah um Competitions um, are the same sort of ranking points. So if we have a G1 competition, it's 10 ranking points. Um, and then it goes up from there. Um, so, yeah, it's just the same. So it depends on your ranking points. Um, depends on how you qualify for the tournament. Yeah. And then is there only going to be a selection of weights? Because I, I know they don't, like in the Olymp- am I right in saying in the Olympics, it's not the full, the full spectrum of weight divisions. It's kind of they pick two or three. Is that similar? Yeah. So... Yeah, it is similar, but like the Olympic and Paralympic weights are different. So for girls, ours are very different. We have minus 49, minus 58, plus 58. And then in the boys, para taekwondo, it's minus 61, minus 75, plus 75. Um, so there's two other boys on the para team. So we are still waiting um, for the two boys to go to the European qualifiers. And hopefully they will qualify for the games as well. Yeah, that just got obviously pushed back because of COVID-19. Yeah, yeah, which, again, it's just, it's a waiting game for them while they were meant to be competing in April. So, yeah, it keeps getting pushed back. So, hopefully it'll be the start of next year. Yeah. So then how many tournaments would you do a year? How often would you compete then? Obviously, you know, to, to keep your, your ranking at number one, would you, how often and how many tournaments would you, would you compete in a year? Usually on average, it's probably four to five competitions per year. That's usually, I would say, average on like the Paris um, calendar, probably like four times a year. And is that the same kind of, would it be the same circuit, the same tournaments kind of every year that you would be competing at? Yeah, pretty much. 
what sort of what, what sort of countries would they be? What sort of places would you get to visit? Oh, I've been to quite a lot, really. Um, I don't know, I've been to America, been to Azerbaijan, been to Bulgaria, Turkey. So yeah, quite a few, really. Yeah. Do you, do you find you get to experience them? Because so I know myself, lots of people go, oh, it's great, you get to go to all these countries, but then you kind of go, well, I didn't see the country. I, I saw a hotel and I saw a sport hall. And, hall. Uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, literally and that was it. So it would have been yeah, similar. Yeah, that's literally it. I say the same to people. Like, oh, you're so lucky. And I'm like, yeah, it was a great airport, great sports hall. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, no, we don't. We don't really get that much downtime. Like maybe sometimes a day if we're lucky. So it's pretty much train, compete, home, day off, start again. So yeah, it's pretty much in and out. Yeah, I suppose it. Yeah, it's nice you get to go out to all these places and want it like one way but like you said you don't get to really experience it like there was there I went to I went to Rome there last year for a tournament it was last mm-hmm. year, no, two years ago and um, it was uh, we, we literally got there like on a Friday evening competed all day Saturday and then flew home Sunday morning so I was like I was in Rome Aww. and people were like oh geez you were in Rome there at the weekend it was like yeah but I might as well not have been because like yeah, yeah it, could have been it, it could have been like it, it wasn't like you didn't get to the coliseum didn't do any of that didn't do any touristy stuff it was literally land weigh in go to sleep get up compete go to sleep get on a plane so <laughs> look great great sporting wise but like in terms of like this kind of going oh you get to travel to these places like well yeah you know it's it's not that much you don't see yeah that it's much. not as glamorous as what people think <laughs> yeah so like what sort of countries then are because I know it kind of varies on the countries. It's kind of in ITF, the countries that would be at the top, uh, high level in terms of you know w- winning overall medals. What type of countries would be the best countries uh, from from your point of view, from your side? Um, Turkey and Russia, they've got a lot of numbers. They've been consistent with medals. Um, so they're probably the two sort of biggest and um, quite high-ranked um, countries for Taekwondo, really. Yeah, oh, would that be, do you think that would be down to to funding because like, because like the, the Turkey wouldn't be a country really in in ITF Taekwondo that would do very well. It's it's. Do you think that might might be down to to funding and the ability to where they put their time and effort? I think it's just yeah, time and effort. I think they've got good numbers. So um, yeah, they've just got a big team and um, good support um quite a few different coaches. So I think yeah, it's just good support really to um help the athletes. Yeah. So so then, like, since how have you said, so obviously, Tokyo was meant to. Be, it should be over by now, really. So, uh, how did you find? How did you find that being pushed back, and how, how have you kind of handled that? Um, to be honest, I had already prepared myself for it to be postponed. I just thought, like, common sense. Obviously, this cannot go ahead this year. Um, so when it was announced, I was like, no, I expected it. So. Yeah, I was a little bit disheartened, but I just thought, no, I've got another year to smash it. Um, so I just took it as like a positive sort of experience and a good opportunity just to make more developments throughout the next 12 months. So even though I would have loved to have completed this, I've just got to wait um, another year now. Yeah. How, how do you think people from, because I know, it's, I think it's going to be challenging for people in other sports that kind of have been building up and then to push that back and like, because obviously, like some sports are set that it's going to be a four-year cycle that the training is yeah. kind of set across that time, and then that's just been offset. Like it's kind of 
I think it'll be a challenge for some people to maybe adjust. Like, what do, what do you what do you fill that next year with? It's like you've planned. Well, the, these four years are going to be planned with their training is going to be set up like this. What do you fill the next year for? Because like you were look at the peak here. It's like you have to kind of extend it. You know, it's what what do you fill that time with? But um, you know, I suppose like maybe not. Be, what, might, might not be an issue for yourself, but I think maybe in other sports, maybe that might be an issue. Yeah, I I personally think it's not an issue for me at all and I know um, the coaches I work with will have the best plan um, and training schedule put in place but yeah when you talk about other sports yeah, it's really quite upsetting for those because there will be people like planning probably to have families probably to have children planning retirements so this being postponed has probably affected the whole of their their plan which is quite massive obviously I'm not in this that stage in my life to even think about stuff like that but people who've been competing like high-end sports yeah that's probably like a big factor is like their retirement plan and stuff that would have been affected yeah and then what do you think is going to happen like with you with you because i because i don't know have you heard anything like that i don't know if there's anything out there like is it going to be then obviously the next olympics would have been 2024 is that still going to go ahead or is it going to be yeah 2025 so, yeah, it's, does, does um, it upset it all again or Yes, yeah, so I didn't. So the games will be next year, twenty twenty one, and then yeah, it's only going to be a three year cycle till Paris twenty twenty four. So I suppose there is some positives with that because um, it's a less amount of time to qualify, so it's a shorter cycle. Yeah, I think I think it's positive. <laughs> yeah, so you have to find the positives, really, don't you? There are some. There's going to be, yeah, be some definitely. positives there. Yeah. So then, obviously, I know you said that it's such a, it's such a bonus, I suppose, the fact that like the high level at, high level athletes and you're all kind of together in the one setup as as a team that you can train together, like you're able to train throughout this. Like if you're kind of one person on your own who needs like a very limited facility, like you, you, your training could have been thrown off completely. Like there could have been a possibility that you got no training done throughout this. Whereas I suppose, like you know, with GB Taekwondo, there's a facility there you can all come in and train together in that one area. So that, that, yeah, that, definitely. That well. Like before we all went um, back, obviously we did. We were all isolated um, at our own homes. So I actually spent the beginning of lockdown. I think it was a good ten weeks with my sister. But luckily, she's got like garden space, and we had like really good weather, so I could like train twice a day. But um, yeah, when we all got back to the gym, we've all been in separated groups and like a lot of. Um, sort of like precautions and procedures have put in, like been put in place of all like social distance and all the coaches are wearing like the correct like protective equipment so yeah it's gone well yeah and then which are training like in terms of like would you say you said you do some kicking sessions how, how many kicks in that would you think you, you, you would throw in a, set, in a session like what, they, what does that kind of work is it we're going to do a certain amount of kicks are we going to be explosive kick? like what, what type of those kicking sessions do they kind of entail oh it depends it depends what like the theme for the week is if I was doing I don't know like a leg control session for instance that would be like a warm up to start with it might be having your leg your knee and hip in the correct position doing that for a minute on each leg times 10 and then you develop it going into a more static where you're actually doing the kick and then develop it again so you're traveling it all depends on what particular area of kicking or what drills we're covering um, at that time 
So, yeah, I dread to think how many kicks are doing one session because it would be a lot. Yeah, it could be an interesting thing to track. For It could be quite surprising, I think, for some people, like how many kicks people could actually throw in a training session if you add it up, up even across yeah, a week yeah. or a month or so like i think you know people would be surprised <laughs> yeah because you know like how many rounds you do if i did like 20 30 rounds what it's just like yeah doing how many kicks we're doing per round that'd be quite interesting to know the numbers yeah and then so did you in terms of like crossing over did i presume there wasn't much of a a struggle to cross over because I know some people I've spoken to some people who came from kickboxing and that were like you know and and you know punching obviously is something that if they, they are, the people I've had on they were heavy on you know using their hands you wouldn't have had that much of a, a struggle did, yeah. you find, did you find do you think that was a benefit because like I know some people come from kickboxing and came to the fighting chance like they were being very hand heavy I suppose that, that was I suppose a benefit that when you switched over you didn't have to worry about that so much you know there's, there's positives there Oh, to be honest, when I first switched over, yeah, when I first switched over, it was a nightmare because, like, I think a lot of kickboxing and, like, ITF style, you do, like, a, like a psychic, a stab, and then you go in punching, which I would have done. So when I first switched over, I did actually punch someone square in the face. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I've been disqualified now. Um, so, yeah, um, luckily, like, I got out of that habit very quickly, and I think you learn like a lot more smarter tactics instead of going so like big and obvious punching with your hands. Um, but yeah, at first I was one of those like, oh God, I've just punched someone in the face and everyone's like, oh, you can't do that. But like, it's such, it's such um, like a bad habit to begin with. But yeah, I soon got out of it. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just once it's ingrained, like, you know, and once it's in, yeah, definitely. If it, I suppose if it's in the heat of competition, like, it just, it just comes out, you know, <laughs> what you've trained over yeah, and over definitely. again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, the, like, with regards to how, how long before were you going to f- fly out to, to Tokyo? Like, was it going to be much of a, I suppose, acclimatization when you got over there? Or was it oh. you going to be out kind of fairly close to... Yeah, I think we were just gonna do like a week before, do a holding camp. So I think it was just a week it was. So we would have flown out um round about the end of August and then my competition is September fifth, I would have thought. Um so yeah, that would have been the time scale we would have been out there. Yeah, uh, would that have been is it like this for all your competitions? Because for us when we compete it's pretty much you ha- you have all your fights on the same day. Uh, maybe if you get to the, the semi-final or final, it might be pushed maybe to the next day. But more, pretty much it's same day, whole, your whole division. Is that the same for yourselves there? Or is it same yeah, day or same is it day. one fight a day? Yeah, so the Paralympics will be over three days, but I just compete on one day. So, for instance, my first match might be 10 in the morning, then um, semi-finals, like a few hours later. So, yeah, it'll all be in one day, but... The whole categories are over three days, but I just found the one day. Yeah, yeah, that's. So I, I have spoken to some people from like other ones, like like I know like Wacko Kickboxing do theirs across. You've won fight a day. Um, oh yeah. Which it's, it, it, again, that's a different approach to have it knowing that you're going to be on today and it's going to be all done today and you get through it. Like how you prepare for that is different to maybe how you would prepare across a couple of days, but. Yeah, I suppose it's handy I'd like that you're, you're competing all across one day. Yeah, I think I'd prefer to do it one day. I think 
like mentally preparing every single day. I think the good thing about it is you get more recovery time in, but it's quite yeah. Yeah. yeah but then you think maybe would you though because like you know when you, you're probably like the next, after you've competed you're getting up the next morning and you can be a little bit stiff a little bit sore and then you kind of have to get yourself ready to go again and then you have to do that again whereas like you know it's, it could be much easier to I suppose once the adrenaline is going on one day you can keep it going for yeah, a bit easier maybe yeah possibly but I don't know as long as you've got like a good recovery plan the night before like it could help you like the next morning you might feel even fresher but who knows that's uh, right in terms of the circuit do you find yourself fighting a lot of the same people over and over again um, or is it is that a yeah. mix, or is the change over and the people you would compete against is there much change over there not particularly I do usually note the girls that I will be fighting in the category and I've been up against them like a few times yeah well, again they'd be mostly the, the Turks and the Russians is it or is there um, to be fair, in my category, like my main competitors, um, there's a girl from France, a girl from Brazil, um, another girl that I've been up against oh, a few times from um, Uzbekistan. So, yeah, there's a few different ones, really. There's not too many Turkish Russians in my category, but I think like the men's divisions, that's where the bigger numbers are. Yeah. So would you, would you say, would you... Would you feel like you have a, a main kind of rival, that, that one person you kind of look for in the draw every time? Yeah, probably uh, Uzbekistan. We're yeah. usually quite close, really, when we fight each other. And the, would you would that be separated in the draw? Would you be seeded to opposite sides, like depending on your ranking? Yeah, so, yeah, it depends on your ranking, depends who you draw on the day. Yeah, I think that's one thing that we could potentially look at for ourselves in ITF, that... It's all the only people see. Well, I suppose the only, the only people see that are the ones who would have been in the final at the previous championships. Um, yeah. Because there isn't really a ranking, but then you kind of end up and you could have a first round match. You could have sometimes two two of the best people in it in the first round, and like somebody has to lose. Whereas I could have made a very good semi final or a very good final. So yeah, I think seeding does help like that, especially like that if you've had to pay if you've put in all the effort you've had to pay for yourself to get to these tournaments and to go and have the toughest match in the first round can sometimes not be the best so that's why you know seeding seeding would be a big help I think like that you, you get you get the best final you get to for the spectators and for, for everybody for the, even the people involved you get the best like the best people in the final or close to the final yeah I think it's a good way to do it yeah and um, yeah I suppose like uh it's such a shame like with, with, with Tokyo getting pushed back but uh, it's um, like 12 months I suppose. it's not that long really is it like it's not that far away like think about it like, yeah. you know, it's, think, like, it's not it's not like this year it's gone so quick but I think from when I found out it was actually going in as a Paralympic sport which is what maybe four or five years ago everyone's like oh it's only like three years Tokyo only two years and then you wait and wait, and then it's like, oh, another year. I'm like, oh. Yeah. But, yeah, like, if it's anything like this year, I'm sure it will go very quickly. But did, did you find that maybe when you first heard it was going to be pushed back, it was kind of, oh, maybe not a big deal, okay, what's the issue? But then the week you were supposed to be actually there, did you find that any different? I think, ah, oh, jeez, I'm meant to be over in Tokyo to now compete. And I mean, did you find that a bit yeah. harder? Yeah, I think at first I was like, oh, it's fine, it's a year, and then, when I like looked at the date, I was like September the fifth. I was like, wow, like 
I would have just done the biggest competition of my life and my life could have possibly changed. So just like after training, I was sitting thinking, oh, I'm just going to have to see what this is going to feel like in a year's time. Because yeah, it, was, it was a bit strange, really. Yeah, because right, right back at the start, we were meant to have the European Championships about six weeks, I think, maybe six weeks, six, seven weeks after, we'll say, the kind of lockdown started happening. And I remember, like, at the, at, the, at, the, at the time when it was said, like, oh, there isn't going to be a European Championships this year, I was kind of like, all right, okay, look, it is what it is, you know, it's, it, it's you know, what's what's one year called off? Um, but then when it came to the week that was supposed to be there, it had been so long since I'd properly trained, and it was like, ah, oh, I'd love to be over there now competing, you know, kind of, it, it hit harder once it got to the week yeah. that was supposed to be there. Yeah, it's tough, but... I know everyone's in the same boat, really, aren't they? It's just affected everyone. Yeah. And do you think, like, from our point of view, I don't really, it's hard to kind of say when we'll be able to get back to competitions. Do you have kind of, like, are you going to come, is there any competitions for you between now and then? Is it going to be, like, or is it the next time you compete is going to be the Paralympics? Um, no, obviously nothing will be happening this year. Um, I'm hoping that something um, will be arranged next year just so I can get a little bit of that time before um Tokyo so I don't compete till September so I am hoping something will pop up but um there is nothing on the calendar as of yet yeah and w- would you ideally compete just the once or like if you had to if you were able to pick like if there would to be would it be two or three times like if you if you in an ideal yeah, world if, for yourself what would you like to see yeah if I could get like a couple of competitions then I'd be happy with that yeah I suppose that goes back to the planning as well, doesn't it? When you're trying to plan the next year, how many times do you, how many times do you compete? Like, like even if you look at other sports, like if you're, I don't know, a runner, how many times do you want to race? How many times? Yeah, it's it's that kind of thing, isn't it? That people wouldn't be, usually be prepared for. Yeah, true. But like, I think I'm just very lucky that I've got like high performance coaches who are very like, um, oh, like professional and know what they're doing in that area. So it's not really something I I have to worry too much. So obviously they've got the correct plans to put in place. Yeah. Did you find that was even a massive help like when you went into the high performance and having people like nutritionists and strength and conditioning coaches there to, to help you along? No, it's a bit crazy really because when you used to go training, it's like you turn up and like, oh, what, what are we doing today? Like you don't know what, what you're doing. You just go along to train. So when someone's like sending you a plan, like on well, one day, this is what we're doing. This is like the theme we're working on. We'll be doing this kicks. It's like, oh, okay. So I actually know what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, you're so used to getting plans and like the reason why you're doing certain plans. Um, but yeah, at first it was like, oh, okay. So this is what um, that's what's all about then. Yeah. So yeah, a bit of a shock at first, but yeah, obviously it's, it's really beneficial. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So I've been to a couple of people who have been involved. It's, it's um. It's if you've come from a sport, I suppose, where that's you don't have that at your at like at your fingertips to have that extra support is, is such a massive help and a, a massive difference. Yeah, definitely. Because obviously, I went through like twenty years of doing ITF style, so I know like what the two differences. I know what it's like not getting physio, not getting nutrition plans, not being able to like fund yourself so yeah I've literally done like two ends of the spectrum so yeah it is like a massive difference really yeah and would you find did you find much of a 
like I know we spoke about a little bit about the change from ITF to WWE. How did you find having to wear the 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 body armor? Was that much of a, tra- a transition? Did you find that to be a struggle? Yeah, I did. yeah. Like there's there's so much that's different about it, really. Like obviously the equipment's different. Not being able to punch to the face. Um, obviously there's a lot more thought behind it. It's a lot more tactical because you've got a score like on electronic systems yeah it's there is a lot of um adjustments and it is very different so yeah it, it did take me a while to um adjust to it and just learn a different style really yeah because from, from time to time we try trying to body armor just you know just to try and do certain things like you know because we have we have a few of them in the in our club and the first okay. thing is like it's straight away you're like oh it's, it's a bit hard yeah. to, even just to breathe like because you, you just it takes a little bit yeah. get, it takes a little bit of getting used to it doesn't it yeah, definitely. But I think it's so good because then you can actually see like the target area of where you would be kicking usually. So it'll help like be more accurate as well. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. I suppose there's nearly before we kind of finish up. Uh, I, t- I tend to ask everybody uh, if you had to pick uh, a favorite fighter. It could be it could be taekwondo. It could be any other sport. It could be boxing. It could be MMA. If you had to pick a favorite fighter to watch, who do you like to watch the most? Oh, favourite fighter. This is a tough one. There's too many good ones. Yeah. Maybe give like two... UFC, it's got to be like Conor McGregor, hasn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. A good Irishman, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is, there, is there any particular one in, in um, maybe in Taekwondo that you like to watch? Um, oh, there's loads, because obviously we've got all our like golden girls, like J.D. Bianca. Yeah, probably Jade and Bianca, but I think from the boys, it's got to be Bradley Sinden. I think he's a very intelligent fighter, so I'd say Bradley, I think he's really good to watch. Yeah, will there be a few people now offended that you didn't say them? No, not at all. <laughs> like, every, like, everyone's amazing on the team, otherwise they wouldn't be on the team. But yeah, they're probably people that I look at and think, yeah, you're very smart and very good at what you do. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, yeah, I think we'll leave it there. It's a, it's a really enjoyed, I've enjoyed chatting to you, and it's it's been good to hear your story and um, where you're coming from. It's not, it's to be honest, it's not something I would have massively even knew was overly a thing. Was that was the kind of was paratech wonder, but uh, it seems it seems great. It seems I think it's a great idea. I think it's great to see, um, it's great to see it in uh, giving a shot in the on the kind of Olympics and Paralympic stage. So uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it just needs like get it out there more so many people don't know I'm like yeah it's actually a Paralympic sport um, but yeah hopefully we'll get the word out there more and we'll get more athletes in eventually so yeah hopefully ho- hopefully the, the Paralympics helps with that like you said put it out there and uh, give yeah, it a platform so uh, yeah thanks for coming on uh, all the best for in Tokyo next year and uh, oh, thank you oh, uh, I'm, I hopefully don't, I don't we can do you. another one and I've got my medal and then we can have a chat about that fingers crossed yeah for sure definitely I, I, I don't doubt there's going to be a gold medal there yeah hopefully thank yeah, you lovely stuff so uh, take care all the best enjoy the weekend alright have a lovely weekend yeah okay bye